Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. Our first scripture is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whosoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are continuing the second lesson in Matthew. We are still in the Sermon on the Mount. Continue on where Charlotte read. We are in chapter 5, verses 27 through 37. Any uh-ohs or oh-boys are simply the addition of this preacher. Listen for the word of the Lord. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh-oh. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of unchastity causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Oh boy. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely. Uh-oh. But carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. 
anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God God indeed. Are you sure? Are you sure you're thanking God for those words? Because they're hard. They're tough. They cut right to it. Seems overly harsh from Jesus, our happy Savior loving Jesus. Well, remember, friends, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're in chapter 5 of Matthew. So far, Jesus has been born. He's been baptized. He's been in the wilderness, tempted in the wilderness with the devil in chapter 4. And now we are at the first set of real meaty teachings. This is the point where the disciples and those gathered are starting to figure out what Jesus' message is, who he is, and what his mission is, what he is here to do. Matthew, we know, first book of the New Testament, is seeking to equate Jesus with Moses to be the new Moses. Not to do away with the old law, but to be a fulfilling and transcendent from what was Moses' law into what Jesus is teaching them now. So he's with them. They are gathered. If you look at the front of your bulletin, you'll see it was directed to the twelve but then there are probably people scattered around, as is on the cover art. So we started last week, if you remember, with salt and light and city on a hill. Before that were the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, who are the peacemakers. And now we're in the third major section, which now Jesus is toe-stepping. He's intentionally stepping on our feet. He's intentionally looking at us and talking to each of us directly. Starts off with anger. We all know unchecked anger can be difficult. It can be destructive. We deal with little bits of it every day on this end of the spectrum, all the way to anger causing wars to start, abuse, neglect, murder, all kinds of awful things we know ruminate out of unchecked anger. But it's not so much that as Jesus then moves it into the realm of every day and says, you know what? It's not just the anger that causes murder, but before you come to the temple you need to go find that person that you are angry with, that you have an issue with, that you are in a challenging relationship with, and you figure that out before you come see me. And in the day, this mentions specifically the temple. There's only one temple. Synagogues were those in the smaller towns that were the local versions. When you come to temple, Jesus says, if you hadn't made things right with those that you are in disagreement with or broken relationship with, stop. Worship no more. Go find them get that relationship to some degree of acceptance and healing, and then come back and be in my presence. There's a story about Leonardo da Vinci when he was working on The Last Supper, and he got into conflict with somebody who was in the room, so much so he unleashed on this poor guy all kinds of insults, all kinds of threats, so the man left and left da Vinci to go back to his work 
And in this particular moment, he was painting the face of Christ. And he couldn't get there. He couldn't get to the face of Christ because he was still overwhelmed with his outburst, with his anger for the way, the embarrassment, some of the shame for the way he had treated his friend and still angry for whatever that issue was. But whatever it was, it kept him from being able to be in touch with Christ's face and be able to paint it. So he stopped. He went and he found this man and he apologized, made amends, reconciled with him, and then was able to go back, reconciled relationship in hand, and be able to then be in contact with the face and presence of Christ. So many of us on a daily basis cry out, God, I want to hear you loud, more loudly. I want to see you more clearly. I want to see and feel your presence in my life, just as da Vinci did. But so often, God is responding, but it's our mess that keeps it from being acknowledged, recognized, or taken in. In this case, it's anger. But then Jesus pushes it to a ridiculous point. You know what? It's not just if you murder somebody. If you call someone a fool, guess where you're going? Boom. The big hurt for eternity. Condemned to hell because you called somebody a fool? Who hasn't called somebody a fool? I know because I've been a fool and people tell me that all the time. Is God keeping score? Does Jesus have his naughty and nice list like Santa? And when you call somebody a fool, he writes it down. August 23rd, 1982. I got you, preacher. You called your friend a fool because he stole your pencil and ate your eraser in third period biology. That's what Jesus, don't laugh. This is what Jesus said. So, so what are we to believe? Well, maybe there's a better way to look at what Jesus is saying and doing. Let's move on to the second set of things. So we have anger, we have reconciliation, reconcile with your brother and sister before you come to me, God says. Then you'll be able to see me, hear me, feel me more clearly. Now, second one, we're going to group, group three of these together, all around lust. So you have adultery, then you have lust, then you have divorce, which in the case of divorce, in this case, speaks to adultery and goes back to lust. Okay, well, we have a sense of that adultery, yep, commandment, that's pretty important. But then again, Jesus takes it from this big one that we know and moves it into our life and says the absurd to us, or is it? Anyone who has lust for someone else in their heart, guess what? Hell to you, to hell with you. That seems a little extreme, doesn't it? Without a show of hands, Come on, of course, at any time in our life, Jesus doesn't say when you're an adult, 
Do we get a pass when we're in adolescence? Anyone lusts after someone in their heart, you're considered, considered an adulterer. That's tough. What do we do with that? Well, I can't call somebody a fool because I'll go to hell. I, I can't have lust for somebody no, no matter what pops into my head at whatever time. This brings back to my memory, uh, uh, I saw an interview with Billy Graham while he was still alive. And he was sitting down with somebody and the interviewer said, gosh, Billy, you know, you're so pure and faithful, such a good Christian. He said, when you see a beautiful woman walking down the street and you're passing the other way, she is provocatively dressed and she's looking at you and she's smiling. He said, what do you think? And, and Billy Graham said, I, I think the same thing you think. I just don't act on it. So by this criteria, even Billy Graham wouldn't fit the bill. Because Jesus is saying it's not just the way you act, it's what's going on in your heart and your mind and your soul. Not just your actions. We can manage those pretty well. That's a start. But internally, in our heart and soul, who are we? And are we following? That gets a little bit hard. That's a little more scary. I don't know if I want God in my head because then he'll know what's going on up there or what's not going on up there. But this is the place where Christ is calling us to completely give ourselves wholly to him. Third area is swearing. So obviously we know that's a commandment too. But here it has to do with oaths, has to do with the Jewish law and the system. And the big picture of this is that Jesus says, you know what? Why do we need to swear oaths to anyone at any time? What, why can't we just be truthful in everything that we say? Why do we have to have special cases when we go to court, we lay our hand on the Bible, and then we swear to tell the truth? Or we take these extra steps, well, I swear, now I'm really going to tell the truth. What if we were all truthful in everything that we said and did so we didn't need to swear? This is what Jesus is lifting up to us. As Christians, we should be people of integrity. So you look at these three categories. We have anger. We have lust that includes adultery and divorce, and we have swearing. Now, they're presented in the negative. Don't do this. Don't do that. And Jesus gets hot here. Don't be angry as he's angry. Does this fit into the character that we know God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to be if you call someone a fool in your life, you're going to hell. If you have a thought of someone in your mind, that's it, game over, you're going to hell. If you ever swear by anything, you're going to hell. Seems a bit out of what we know from our loving, faithful, reconciling God. 
Yes, I believe it is. Jesus comes to us and he brings these negatives and what do they all have in common? They break and they damage relationships. Why can't I be angry? Why can't God support me in my anger? Well, okay. But when you get to a certain level, you're starting to be destructive to yourself, destructive to those in your life, destructive to the world around you. Why can't I lust in my heart? It just, it just affects me. It doesn't affect anybody else. Again, it gets to the point where it starts to affect you, your soul, your relationships, and the life around you. Why can't I go swear by anything, in essence, and not be truthful? Because that's what that's about, being truthful from the start so you don't have to swear. Why can't I tell lies as long as it doesn't hurt anybody? Well, we know the answer to that. The more profound you lie, the more that you lie. Then it starts to affect yourself, your relationships, and your world around you. So if you look at this, Jesus is saying we need to be about reconciling relationships and not destroying them. These three categories of things and many others destroy relationships. And I need you to take it seriously, Jesus says. Each one of you knows. Maybe it's not anger for you. Maybe it's not lust for you. Maybe it's not truthfulness for you. But it's something for you as it is for me. He's saying not just with your actions, but what's in your mind and your heart. I want you fully to give yourself to me. If not, you're going to boil over with this negativity and with this sin that can just accumulate until it explodes. There was a city of Neon, N-Y-O-S, Neos, in Cameroon, August 21st, 1986. Everybody went to sleep in that village and the lake right there at night, there was some kind of explosion. And by morning, 1,800 villagers were dead, 3,500 cattle dead. What had happened was CO2, carbon dioxide, was trapped under the lake. Usually, there's a process that it slowly lets the carbon dioxide through, but it's not what happened here. The normally beautiful blue and turquoise lake changed to red. There was some kind of explosion and a toxic cloud of CO2 and other things, because it was heavier in air, blew out of the lake and then descended back into the village. It's exactly what happens when we let sin rule our lives or we suppress that without dealing with it, because sooner or later, like that cloud, it's going to erupt and it's going to be destructive. Today isn't about the negativity, however. You may say, well, why does God set things up like that? I can't achieve that. I can't ever not call anybody a fool. I can't stop my mind from doing what mine does. Sometimes I tell a lie. How can we be set up for success instead of failure, God? Thanks. But just the opposite. I believe that it's so stringent that the only way that we can be successful in navigating our life with these issues that we're exploring and addressing is to fully rely on the grace of Jesus Christ. We can't do it ourselves. Jesus paints this picture of almost impossible 
obedience. But I think the message is that it's only impossible without him. And with him, it doesn't make us sin-free, but it means that we will get the strength that we need when we focus, when we seek to make ourselves better, to root out these things that are destroying and breaking relationships, keeping them broken, and keeping us from the reconciliation that Christ is placing in our lives. So it's the grace on which we rely. It is the bigger picture, not of broken relationships, but of reconciliation. Go find that person, God says, and reconcile before you come see me, and then you can see me more clearly. Address those things in your life, whatever they may be, that are causing you brokenness in your own life and those around you. But the good news is you don't have to do it yourself. We are called to be a family together, to help, to walk with, and in this body of Christ, to be one family. John Wesley, founder of Methodist Church, said, Christianity is a social religion. When we isolate ourselves, we destroy it. Simple. We are meant to walk together, friends. Not to meet in a goal that we can't ever meet, but with these high ideals in mind, as Jesus is saying, looking for the kingdom to come and the kingdom now, but also with high grace present. We seek God's kingdom now through addressing these issues, and we fully rely on God's grace. That is the joy and our challenge. So as Jesus says to them in in verse 24, let us go and be reconciled. Hallelujah. Amen.